Good morning, everybody. Great to see all of you. I want to welcome our campuses that are joining with us today. My name is Eddie Couples. I'm the lead pastor for Love and Truth Ministries, and I'm grateful that you're joining with us today. We believe that God has a word for you, and so let's get ready to receive that today. With all of you there as well as here, would you take your Bibles today and go to the book of Acts, the second chapter? Now, over the past few weeks, we've been talking out of this passage there in Acts chapter 2 that talks about what happened after the day of Pentecost, that on the day of Pentecost, that there was this great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And then as that happened, then outside of that, there began to be what was known as the New Testament church. And what we've been talking about is how that you and I play a role in, in our lives of making our life count. That it's not enough just to show up. It's not enough just to be a Christian. It's not enough uh, just to be a human being even. That you and I have to go forward uh, in making our life count. And, and so for the sake of time, I won't read some of this. But if you begin there in Acts chapter 2, uh, you, you can see there. I'll, I'll, I'll do bits and pieces of this. Uh, Acts chapter 2 verse 36 says, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and and Christ. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. Uh, excuse me, verse, verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to their heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And then Peter uh, preaches this great uh, response and says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, your children, for all who are far off, and for all whom the Lord our God will call. And then he goes on there. And then as, as we continue to study that passage, we saw the different aspects that begin to happen in the life of that New Testament church. Now, here's, here's what we need to understand, that as they came together, some things begin to happen. And we talked about each of these each week. The first week, we talked about that you have to be pursuing. In other words, that if you want to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have to be willing to pursue that. You have to be willing to go after that. It's, it's not enough just to know that there is a Jesus. It's not enough just to know that Jesus Christ died on your behalf. You have got to do something in response, and we talked about grace and mercy and how that that corresponds in our life. The second week, we talked about that you have to move. It's not enough just to come into salvation. It's not enough just to pursue God uh, as, as Savior, but that you have to allow Jesus Christ to become your Lord. The Bible says this. It says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in the breaking of bread. Now, what that means is, is that their life was growing. They were changing. They weren't the same after they got saved. Let me, let me say this to you and listen carefully. When you get saved, that's wonderful, but there needs to be some changes that happen in your life. There are some things you're going to have to quit doing, and there's going to be some other things you're going to have to start doing when you come into relationship with Jesus Christ. The third week, we talked about how that they, the Bible says that, that great signs and wonders and miracles were happening by the hands of the apostles. And we talked about how that they were serving out of their giftedness and that everybody in the house, everybody that's a Christian is called to be a servant, that you have a responsibility as a Christian to serve in his kingdom. And that's not just when you gather together with other believers. That's part of it. But even when you are dispersed and out in 
of the community that you are to be in, in a place of serving out of the giftedness that God has given you. And lastly, last week, we talked about connecting, that it's not enough. And, and I want to say this and then move on. I don't want to re-preach last week's sermon. But it's not enough just for you to come into the house of God and look at the back of somebody's head. That you need to connect with other people. That over 50 times in the New Testament, the Word of God talks about one another and that you and I need to come to that place where we are in relationship. And we talked all about that. If you weren't here, you can go online or you can buy the CD or whatever and get that. Today, we're going to talk about changing. So would you look in the 46th and 47th verse of that same chapter today? And, and I want to read it to you. It said, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Now, that's, that's the public gathering of the church. That would be what, what we would call going to church, although we really don't go to church. We are the church. That's another sermon. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke, broke bread in their homes and ate together. That's that connecting thing. With glad and sincere heart, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number how often? Would you say that word? Daily, those who were being saved. Now, we're, we're talking about changing today. We're, we're talking about how that in our lives, that when we come into relationship with Jesus Christ, that we have to be willing to make some changes. Somebody said one time that the only person that likes change in the nursery is a, excuse me, in the church is a baby in the nursery with a wet diaper. Everybody else is against change. I mean, it's, you know, when, when you start moving things and transitioning things, and, and, I, and I found that out the first church I pastored, that there were certain things that if you move them, help us, Jesus. You know, it, it was, I, I mean, I got, in, I got in trouble one time for moving a Bible. And, 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 you know, you just, you just didn't move. I, I came in one week and, and moved the organ and the piano to the same side, and you would have thought I'd, you know, wrote blasphemy on the wall or something but uh, you know so so the, the whole aspect is is that in churches we have this tendency to be afraid of change and yet when you read the scripture what you find is is that the new testament church was changing daily now here's what i want to help you understand is that in this journey of christianity and its journey of being a believer you have to understand that it never stops. You never get to a place that you can say, I've made it. This is all that God's called me to do. Because we are saved to save others. The reason that you were saved is to make a difference in somebody else's life. And that's what Jesus Christ has called us to do. Now, when we talk about that, one of the things that happens is, is that people have all kind of ideas of what it means to get somebody else saved. When I use the term, you know, that we're called to be witnesses, there's all kind of manner of, of ideas and thoughts that go in through our brain. Uh, you know, some of you grew up in, in churches where Saturday morning you met together and you knocked doors and you handed out tracts. Praise God. You can do that, but I'm not going. I'll be careful, all right? Uh, you know, and so that was witnessing or, or taking your Bible and going to church, going to, to the workplace. That was witnessing. Well, that's all part of it, I guess. But, but when, you, when you begin to understand 
the, the aspect of witnessing, it really is a freeing aspect in our life. And, and so I, I don't want you to get tense because I'm going to talk to you about being a witness today. I, w- I want you to relax because I think that I can bring some insight to you today that can help you to understand that really being a witness is a pretty necessary, number one, necessary thing in our life. And number two, it really is easy when we understand what it is that God's called us to do. Now, let me explain some things to you. Number one is you are not called to be the judge. You ever met those Christians? They sit, in, they sit in judgment on everybody. God never called you to be a judge. God never called you to be the prosecuting attorney. But God, I saw what you did and I know what it was about. God didn't call you that. He didn't call you to be the defense lawyer. You know, you get in those conversations and people start saying, well, you know, I I know what you're telling me, but my grandma, she was a good woman, and and what about her? You're not the defense lawyer. You don't have to explain about grandma. Here's what you're called to be. You're called to be a witness. If you've ever been in court or if you've ever watched courtroom drama on television, what you find is, is that a witness does one thing. Here's what a witness does. A witness tells what they have seen and heard. That's all they do. In fact, if you start telling what somebody else said or what somebody else saw or whatever, somebody's going to stand up and they are going uh, to not be happy that you're doing that because all that a witness does is tell what they have seen and heard. What you are called to do is not to explain the intricacies of Scripture. You are not called to be the person who understands everything about the book of Revelation or about who Jesus is or how he operates and how the kingdom. You are, what you are called to do is to let other people know about what Jesus Christ has done for you. It's to be a witness. That's what we're called to do. People say, well, pastor, why should I be a witness? Well, the book of Matthew, the 28th chapter and the 18th verse says this. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The number one reason that you are called to be a witness is that Jesus commands you to. All right? It's not a suggestion. It's not, well, it would be okay if you did. No, he's quite clear there. Go into all the world and make disciples. In other words, be a witness everywhere you go. So I don't have, as a Christian, if I'm a believer today, I can't say, well, uh, I didn't sign up for that. Well, I I really don't want that. No, what I'm called to do is is that I'm called to be a witness. And you know what? Here's the interesting thing is everywhere you go, you are a witness whether you mean to be or not. Now, the thing about me is, is that I have moments. Anybody else have moments? In other words, I have moments that I lose it. The problem is, is that because of television and because of so many people coming through so many love and true churches, I can't lose it anymore. Because just as soon as I do, somebody is going to say, aren't you that preacher? See, have you ever driven in West Tennessee? No, I'm just asking. I don't know about where people get their license, but what is it? Can I I just share my heart with you today? I, I just want to testify a little bit right now. 
What is it with people who want to drive 15 to 20 miles an hour less than the flow of the traffic and hang out in the left lane? I, I, if I'm talking to you, would you cut that out? Because it's making me lose my religion. You know, I've told you for years, you got to be careful as a Christian because you can't have a fish on your trunk and a bird out the window. You can explain that to the religious ones when they get home. Anyway, the, the, the process is, is that we're, we're, we are commanded by God to be witnesses. We, we don't have a choice. And honestly, wherever we go and whatever we do, we are being a witness. Secondly, it's, it's, it's the familiar scripture that most of you know by heart John 3 16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have eternal life the second reason we need to be witnesses is because God loves unsaved people no don't miss that I, I said to you God loves un unsaved people in fact I, I'm, I don't want to mess your world up but the Bible says that God will leave all of you that are saved and sanctified and go find somebody who's lost. The Scripture says if there's a hundred that's in the sheepfold and there's 99 that's safe, the shepherd leaves all the saved ones and goes after the lost one. Isn't it interesting that the church has forgotten that? Now, I, I, again, I don't want to get too much in our business today because I can see this is straining some of us. But, but I want you to understand that God wants unsaved people to come together with believers when they gather together. Jesus said it this way. All the religious people got upset at Jesus because he hung out with sinners. You read that? They said, ah, he's a, he, here's what King James, he's a wine-bibber. He's a friend of publicans and sinners. What they were saying is, he's a party animal. And so they come to him one day and they said, why do you do that? And he looked at them and he said, let me tell you something. He said, the well don't need a physician. He said, I didn't come to those who had it all together, who were all fixed up. He said, I came to those who were hurting. I came to those who were going through some things. He said, that's who I came to. He said, I've come that they would have life and that they would have life more abundantly. That's, that's who Jesus came from. I believe with all of my heart that any time that the church gathers together, there ought to be a lot of people gather with us that don't have a relationship with Jesus. And let me go one step further. They ought to be welcomed. Amen. They ought to feel like this is a safe place wherever they're gathering that people want them to be there. I mean, say, well, they'll, they'll, they'll do stuff. They'll say stuff. Well, of course they will. Amen. I mean, I've, I've, you know, I, I'm astounded at times how we miss that. I, I'm, I'm also astounded at how quick we get amnesia. Because the Apostle Paul said, such were some of you. 
but I'm holy now. I'm right. Yeah, yeah, but such were. You were. And you know what? Jesus Christ came for you. And so just as he loved you in your sin and in your problems and in your mess, you and I need to be willing to love unsaved people just like Jesus did. Let me give you the third one. I've got to hurry. Second Peter says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Thank God for that. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The third reason that I need to be a witness is to see people saved. God wants people saved. And the only way that they're going to be saved is for you and I to witness about what Jesus Christ has done for us. We've got to let them know. We've got to tell them. We, we've got to go out of our way to, to have that happen. And then lastly, uh, Proverbs 11.30 says that, that the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and the one who is wise saves life. lives. The, the fourth thing is, is that it, it just shows that I'm, I'm wise. I don't know about you, but I want people to think I've got some wisdom. And one of the greatest ways, another translation of that verse says, he that winneth souls is wise. And so I need to win souls because I want to be wise. And I want to make a difference in the life of people. Now, here's what usually happens about this moment of this kind of service. And this kind of sermon goes forth. And, and we, in that moment, we get this real condemnation. We go, man, I'm not doing enough. I know I got friends. I got family. I told them about Jesus. And, and you know, oh, man. And, and so we, we walk out under this condemnation. Let me help you. There's therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Don't live under condemnation. All right? I want to share with you how you and I can go about being witnesses just every day in our life. There's no greater person to look at than Jesus. How did Jesus operate as a witness? How, how did he go about doing that? The book of John, the fourth chapter, gives us a wonderful picture. I'm not going to read any of it, uh, but I'm just going to tell you the story today. It's, it's the encounter where the Bible says Jesus looked at the disciples one day and said, I must needs go to Samaria. Now, when he said that, the disciples are offended because they are Jewish. The Samaritans are a, a mixed-race people, and Jews felt like they were better than anybody else, and they didn't want to have anything to do with mixed-race people. And, and so they said, well, I can't. why does he want to go there? We don't understand this. And yet they go. As they are going, the Bible says that before they get into the town, that they come to a well, and Jesus sends the disciples on by themselves, and he sits down at the well. As he is at the well, now it's noontime, uh, a woman comes to the well. Now, let me explain something to you. You don't draw water at noon. It's too hot. You draw water early in the morning or late in the evening. She comes by herself. There's a reason I'll explain it later. She comes by herself at noon to draw water. As she is drawing water, Jesus begins to talk to her. And first of all, he says, give me a drink. And she looks at him. He's dressed as a rabbi. And she looks at him, and, and she knows he's a, he's a teacher of, of the law. And she says, how are you, who is a Jew, how are you asking of me to give you a drink? And he says to her, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me, and I would give you ever-living water. I would make it where you never had to come back to the well. And she said, sign me up. She said, I am ready for indoor plumbing. Bring it on now. I don't ever want to come back to this well. 
But then they get in this kind of religious dialogue about where do you worship? Do you worship in Jerusalem? Or our ancestors say you worship on this mountain. And Jesus just kind of come, cuts it down to the chase. And he said the time is now coming where you won't worship God on this mountain or on, in this city. He said there's a time coming that you will worship him in spirit and in truth. And, and she, she at that moment begins to have some other dialogue. And then Jesus says to her, I, I love this segue. Jesus, it seems almost random, but Jesus says to her, uh, go bring me your husband. And she drops her head and she says, uh, I, I, I don't have one. And he said, you told the truth. He said, you've had five and you're living with a guy right now. Now, why did she go to the well at noon? Because she did not want to face the criticism of everybody and all the gossip of all the women in the village. So she went by herself at noon so she didn't have to face it. Now watch this. Why has she been married five times? Some of you go, well, I know. No, here's why. She was searching for acceptance. She is wanting someone to love her for who she is. And in the moment that she encounters Jesus for the first time in her life, she finds acceptance with no strings attached. Now, here's, here's, the, here's the great part of that story. It says when Jesus told her that, that, that she went back to the village and she said, come see a man who has told me everything that I've ever done. He really hadn't. All he said is, is that you've had five husbands and you're living with a guy that's not your own. She said he's told me everything. Now, the King James Version of the Bible has an interesting dialogue here uh, at this point. It says, and all the men of the village came to see Jesus. Do I need to explain that to you? They're thinking, if he told her everything and I... All right. Uh, now, what, what we see in this story is this, and, I, and I'll try to be quick with this, and, 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 but I want you to follow this. Here, here's what you've got to do. Number one is, and, and I hope you'll write these down, is number one, be willing to start a conversation with anyone. See, the, the, here's, here's the interesting thing. The disciples would not have spoken to her. In fact, if you read the context there, as they are going into the village, they pass her. As they are coming back to Jesus, they pass her again, and yet they don't speak to her either time. And yet Jesus saw her as the key. In fact, if you read the rest of that, what you will find is, is that Jesus stayed there, and almost the entirety of that whole village gets saved. Why? Because Jesus was willing to talk to her when nobody else would. You need to be willing to talk to whoever it is that God brings into your path. Don't, don't worry about what they look like, how they fit. What, no, it is about starting a conversation. Secondly, is that we have to understand this. Jesus was willing to adjust his schedule, to adjust his life so that he could reach out to her. He, he, he doesn't go the straightest route to where he's going. He comes by Samaria. Not only that, don't you think Jesus could have blown her mind with how wise he was? I mean, he could have told her the intricacies of the cosmos and all the greatness of all the things. And yet, what does he do? He just says, hey, how about a drink? See, we, we've got to learn to adjust our lives. We have forgotten. Let me, let me say this to Christians 
Most of you listening to me today are, are, are believers. We have forgotten what it was like to not know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And because of that, we kind of live in this plastic, holy Christian bubble. Oh, wow. And what we don't understand is, is that the rest of the world is not living in this bubble. And so if I'm going to make an impact on their life, I've got to come down to where they are. The third thing that Jesus did was he talked about everyday life. You, you really need to know what's going on in society. Bless God. I don't I mean, you, you, you really ought to know who Nicki Minaj is. Now, I don't recommend you listen to her because she claims to be possessed of the devil. But you, you, you really need to know what's happening in the world. Don't, don't, don't cut your life off. Boy, I, I bound some of your spirits when I said she was possessed of the devil, didn't I? I didn't say it. She says it. All right? You, you've, you've got to come to that place where you understand you've got to talk about what's happening in their world. See, because the fourth thing is this. You've got to learn to ask questions. The, the one thing that I see that the church has not done well is that we have not asked enough questions. Come on, think about it for a minute. Think about how often we're giving answers and nobody's asking anything. Think about, the, think about the dialogue. Let's just do it this way. Think about the dialogue in our nation right now between political parties. There is no dialogue. They're just each screaming at each other about their own agenda. What would, wow. What would happen if we just shut up and listen? We might find out that we agree more with the opposition than we think we do. It, could it be that you have more in common with that person who doesn't know Jesus Christ than you think you do. But the only way that you are ever, ever going to get there is to be willing not to always be so quick to have an answer to everything. Ask questions. This next one's kind of hard, but get it. The fifth thing is when you ask questions, listen. Now, this, this works in your marriage, this works in your job, this works in every aspect of life. But again, I, I find so many Christians who even if they ask a question, they're just trying to get to the four spiritual laws or the Roman road or whatever it is that they're trying to do to get people saved. You know what Jesus did? Watch this. Jesus said, bring me your husband. Why? Because Jesus knew that the greatest need of her life wasn't water, wasn't all the things that the religious leaders had told her. Don't you think? I mean, she's a religious person. She's got in this doctrinal debate about where to worship. She knows all the stuff. She knows the Word of God. She knows the Old Testament. She's wounded. She's hurt. Her life is messed up. She just wants somebody to show her love. 
And we could entitle her life, She's Been Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. But thank God that when Jesus showed up in her life, she found the right place. And her life has changed. See, one of the things that I think, and I've got to hurry, but one of the things that I think has to happen to those of us who are Christians is that we have to realize that people need Jesus because their lives are in a mess. Or you may live in the great house, you may live in the fine neighborhood, you may drive the best car, you may go to the best schools, you may, but without Jesus, your life's in trouble. You, you, you may be at the top of your profession. You may be the person who, who everybody else in, in society looks at, but without Jesus, there's a hole in your life. And, and so there, there's got to come this ability of Christians to witness. And lastly, Jesus shared himself. You and I have got to share Jesus. Jesus just gave of himself to her. He took time for her. He loved on her. We've got to come to the same place where we do that. Here's my challenge to us as I close out this whole series. Is that in our lives, we've been given, if you're a believer today, we've been given the most precious gift that anybody could ever have. And that is the gift of salvation. When I go to bed tonight, I don't worry about my eternal destiny. Because I'm saved. When I get up in the morning, I'm still saved. Next week, I'm going to be saved. The week after that, I'm going to be saved. The week after that, I'm going to be saved. The year after that, I'm going to be saved. Some of you say, do you believe in eternal security? Well, I don't believe in eternal insecurity. I, I, just, I just believe that I have a relationship with God Almighty and that it's the most precious thing and that even when I mess up, even when I fail, it's such a wonderful thing. I'm not going to stay in the place that I've been. I'm always going to run back to my father. Now, that, that's where we've got to understand. And so the world needs to hear that, ladies and gentlemen. First of all, they need to know Jesus loves them. He's not mad at them. If you're listening to me today, God's not mad at you. He loves you. He, he cares for you. He is concerned about every aspect of your life. And I don't care what any bigoted person told you. I don't care what somebody with a Bible slammed on your head and told you. It does not matter who you are or where you are. Jesus loves you. And he wants you to be in relationship with him. And I don't know about you, that's the greatest news that I know. And so now that you and I have received that, don't you think we ought to share that? We ought to let somebody else know about what Jesus means to us. That's my challenge to you.